When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. a heck of a lot going on in the world of cricket and I'm pleased to say the chief cricket writer at the age Daniel Bredig is on the line g'day Dan g'day Matt how are you this morning I, I, I can imagine that you're juggling a whole stack of stuff we've got the fallout from Mitchell Johnson we've got Amazon's new deal coming in the picture we've got the Prime Minister's 11 on on tomorrow starting tomorrow and then the Pakistan series ahead of us where should we start this discussion you want to start with the TV deal Sure. Well, yeah, that that Amazon deal is a um, is a big change. I mean, if if you're thinking about people's viewing habits in Australia, they've generally expected uh, to see Australia playing at home on free to air TV, um, and they've generally expected to see Australia playing away from home um, on Foxtel, with the occasional, um, say, an Ashes series or a World Cup uh, final on um, on free to air. So uh, it is a big change. I would expect that this deal is not necessarily going to be entirely um, exclusive to Amazon once we get to the next 50 over World Cup, which, by the way, is obviously not until 2027. Um, I'd imagine that there would be the chance that, you know, the Australian games and maybe the finals might end up being um, shared with a with a free-to-air network, as was the case um, in the uh, in the World Cup that we just uh, that we just saw, but certainly to move from Foxtel to um, to Amazon is a is a is a huge change for um, a lot of people's habits. Yeah, it's a monumental shift in my opinion because it announces the serious arrival of Amazon. They've they've had a little crack at it, and I was part of it, Dan, when we did the swimming a couple of years ago, but. Now this announces Amazon into the marketplace and they've done it through the ICC. They haven't had to come in domestically. They've gone to the ICC to do it. And I reckon you're right too. I reckon by the time it gets around, depending on where streamers are at that situation, but by the time it gets around to Australia's defence, there's every chance that the Australian games will be shared because they can offload the cost. However, we've always got to remember that streamers and subscriptions go for exclusivity that's where they make their money so an interesting one for for us to follow on that one um now the mitchell johnson fallout um i've i've seen what he's had to say in the podcast and he hasn't backed away from what he said but it's given us probably a better insight into where this has come from a we've got 2018 and sandpaper gate and B, we've got a text exchange between Dave Warner and Mitchell Johnson and George Bailey and Mitchell Johnson as well. So there's a personal side to this along along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, um, uh, you know, reading through it myself, one of the things, and you know, it's something that we experience working as um, working as journalists. You know, where does the onus lie to reach out and have a conversation? Um, in terms of the process of writing an article or, you know, or, or an opinion piece. Um, it was interesting to hear that, um, yeah, that there'd been a response from George Bailey to Mitchell Johnson after he'd written about Lance Morris and questioning why he was being rested from games. And um, 
I think it's probably fair to say that the way that fast bowlers are managed now has evolved a fair bit since 2015 when Mitchell Johnson retired. So I thought it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting to hear that they're sort of, there hadn't been an exchange between them before that article was, was written, but there obviously was subsequently. And yes, and in the case of, in the case of David Warner, there's, um, you know, it was, it, it was obviously um, a bit, I guess you'd say untidy um, that there was this sort of public exchange going on between, um, between Mitchell and, and, uh, and Candace Warner um, and, uh, and, and Dave, I guess, having his, um, having his say uh, in, the, in the middle of that. Um, I was interested as well in terms of Mitchell's kind of thought processes in his um, podcast interview with Bharat Sundarajan that, um, yeah, he's still figuring out kind of, you know, what the, what's the ideal tone for these opinion pieces? You know, how, how, hard, do I, how hard do I go? How do I remain authentic to what I'm thinking and feeling and seeing, um, but also kind of managing, you know, yeah, exactly how hard do you do you go with these things and and um, and the fact that um, yeah, there was a there there certainly was a kind of a personal um, a personal tone to to this one that uh, he he may reconsider in future. <laughs> yeah, he's experiencing everything at the moment, isn't he? The fallout to that, um, you know needing or perhaps wanting to stand by it and give some further reasons and also regret. He regrets making the Bunnings sandpaper comment and, and we all do that, don't we? we? We say or write things that perhaps the next day we go, uh, probably could have done that a little bit differently. So I reckon you're right. You know, I think that part of the explanation's kind of interesting and the insight into what Mitchell Johnson has been thinking have been interesting as well. At the crux of the issue, Dan, and I got into this yesterday, is around David Warner and the farewell test. And I put that in inverted commas um, in particular, the so-called farewell test at the SCG. It's my understanding that there was never an expectation from David Warner that he would have a farewell test. There was a hope and perhaps a little bit of pressure <laughs> put out there publicly. Mm. What, are, what are the people that you speak to within cricket circles saying about that? Do they ever do they think that David Warner expects a farewell test or do they think that this has all been beat up because David Warner said he hoped for a farewell test? Oh, I think it, there's no question that that um, that he that he wanted one, but um, I suppose the the two words that uh, sometimes get missed in the conversation is if selected. And um, you know, in terms of uh, the, if you go back to the timing of when when Dave Warner uh, made mention of this, it was before the Ashes, after he'd had a, um, a difficult tour of India where he didn't make runs in the first couple of tests then went home injured with a, uh, with a hairline fracture of, of his arm. And um, I think there was, uh, well, there, was, there were two things. There was not a great deal of um, run scoring form behind him, but I think there was also an expectation from the team that if he was to play, he needed to play his role in terms of, you know what's complementary to Usman Khawaja? What are the what does the rest of the batting order need from him now? In the Ashes, he didn't have a great series, but he had a much better series than he had in 2019, and he also contributed to some to some key partnerships with Khawaja at key stages of the uh, of the series. If you think about the Lords Test, where they batted first in really difficult conditions, if you think about um, uh, the uh, second innings of the Edgbaston Test, when they were making a fourth innings chase, and then you think about the um, uh, the second innings at the Oval, where they put on a very good opening stand in the in the last innings of the series. So, 
there were enough signs there that Warner was contributing. And in a, I suppose you say, in a, in a, in a judgment of, of, of him versus the, the next available options, the selectors still clearly think in, you know, what has to be a pretty narrow call, that he's still offering more than the next um, the next cabs off the rank might be able to offer in in these in these three test matches. So, you know, it's a, it's an argument that not everyone's going to have the the same opinion on. And you know, Mitchell Johnson's obviously very much entitled to say that he um, he has a di- he has a different view. And 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 I think that's uh, that's kind of where it uh, where it stands. And on those that will be pressing for the spot, depending on if they're going to look outside the current group and and not shuffle around the order. We'll get a clearer picture, won't we? Marcus Harris, Matthew Renshaw, Cameron Bancroft, um, all taking part in this Prime Minister's eleven. I see Michael Ness has been ruled out, so they're bringing in Jordan Buckingham, and it's probably more with with uh, Michael that they just want to make sure that he's he's there if they need him across the summer. So, out of the three batters that I just mentioned, there, do you lean towards say what Ricky Ponting's been saying that Bancroft is leading that pack because then they look at Harris, or then they look at Renshaw been there, done it. I mean, all three have been there. Mm. If you look just at run scoring aggregates, you'd say that Bancroft is at the head of the queue. But selectors uh, of lots of generations over the years have always said, "Well, we don't just look at aggregates. That's why we have selectors. It's not, you know, the team's not selected on a on a statistical, purely statistical basis." And I think one of the things I mentioned earlier is. <clears throat> Warner being a complimentary player for Usman Kawaja. Kawaja scores at a fairly steady tempo. Warner um, goes out and and plays with a little bit more um, positivity. Now, what I'd imagine that the selectors would be hoping to see in the Prime Minister's 11 game is that um, Bancroft, Harris, Renshaw, wherever they bat, whatever the you know the permutation of the batting order is, um, that they show some intent to score and they show some. Uh, willingness to try to put bowlers under pressure. And I think that's really a, a key thing to being a um, successful international batter against good quality bowling. Um, if you're just going out there to survive, you might occasionally make a make 100 over six hours. But quite often, a good bowler who puts the ball in, in the right spot consistently is going to find a way past you. So you've got to put pressure on them to bowl you some more bad balls. Yeah, it's going to be... I reckon it's going to be fascinating, mate. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, the way that we've been looking at this summer ahead of us in terms of the Test cricket with Pakistan and, and the West Indies. But uh, already there's so much juice coming out of the squeezed lemon. I mean, it's just, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving the, the drama around it. And then the PM's 11 in the mix as well. Appreciate your time this morning, mate. Thanks so much. No worries, Matt. Give us your thoughts on that, folks. 0457 736 736. And I'll play you a bit of Usman Kawaja talking about the scenarios around batting with David Warner and, and, and the opening partnership. Daniel Bredig there from The Age and Sydney Morning Herald, the chief cricket writer at The Age. Uh, we will take a break. We're back after this right here on SEN.